Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodeutchen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. On this episode, I'm talking to the London-based fashion designer, Charles Jeffrey, known for his exuberant designs, theatrical shows, and his club night, Loverboy. We spoke to each other remotely during the COVID-19 lockdown, in which he shared his thoughts on how video games and tech influence his work, as well as his love of music and of fitness. He also shared the five things he'd put into the cabinet at Five Carlos Place that best represent him. Hi, Charles. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm all right. I've got a nice little um, bit of respite here in my studio that I've snuck to to pick up some uh, fa- uh, some pattern paper for my pattern cutter. So it's nice and peaceful here. And when you say snuck there, that's because we're in the midst of the COVID nineteen pandemic of twenty twenty. Is it Somerset House in London where you're based? Yes, um, well we just recently returned there um, as of um, October uh, last year. Um, so we were there like two years ago, two, three years ago now, and then we went to Mare Street and now we've came back here um, in a space that's like sort of double the size of the one that we had before, which is feels like a nice sort of graduation. But um, yeah, I sort of feel a bit nervous about coming out now. Like I feel like I have to wear like a mask at least to look polite enough to be wandering the street. <laughs> and have you created a special Charles Jeffrey mask? I'm, well, you're the second person to ask me that today. Um, everyone's asked me if I've been doing a tartan one, but um, I've actually not. I've just got your sort of bog standard um, one. I think we're, we're thinking of donating some fabric um, to Phoebe. We're just trying to find uh, Phoebe English, that is who's making masks at the moment for people. Um, so I've been trying to find the right fabrics for her because it's very particular ones that you need to get. Um, but for the moment, I'm just using my little surgical surgical throwaway ones. And how are you spending your days otherwise? Um, well, I'm currently between two places um, at the moment. So I was mainly staying at my, um, my boyfriend's place because his flatmate was out. He moved back to his parents' house in the country, so um, there was a lot more space in his flat, so I could work at, um, well, he's got like a kind of pattern cutting table because he works in fashion, so um, I was able to do some work there. Um, and then, obviously, my place, I'll sometimes go just to pick up, like, um, extra pants or something, <laughs> so that's like a stone's throw away, so I was sort of in between those two places, and um, uh, yeah, so it's sort of... Uh, it's kind of business as usual. Everyone's sort of working from home. Like my pattern cutter's working from home. She's making the patterns and then sending them to me to like um, try on my boyfriend to then look at them to do pattern. Like we do like um, fittings on Zoom, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then there's just been a lot of like I've been getting a lot of like illustration commissions. Um, so I've been working quite a lot, um, and I'm, I feel like I'm sort of like just as busy, but just in a sort of different body of work that I'm working on instead of the fashion show because that's been moved so it's no longer in June it's going to yeah. be potentially but well, we don't really know when shows can open again it's more like we're, we've got collections that we're sitting on but then it's kind of just waiting for the right time to release them and 
get them started. Like we've been sort of um, encouraged to do some sort of digital activation, um, which is good because, you know, Loverboy's always been a lot more than just like the clothes and uh, necessarily the show. We've always done like little bits off the side, whether it's like illustration or like image making or we've always done like little movies when we've done like collections and stuff. So um, we're thinking of doing some sort of like uh, digital activation for June. Um, but maybe it's not necessarily about the collection. It's about like more of a brand idea. Um, and then for September, we are launching a, a collection, but it's much more reduced. It's like a, so we call it the emergency collection. It's sort of like <laughs> <laughs> key pieces that people can trust and that they're positive and, you know, they're colorful. And I mean, I really love this collection. It's a shame we can't give it a show, but I think it's, it's sort of like, um, I don't know, you just have to, you kind of just have to go with it. You know, you have to sort of roll with what's going on and, be um, apt. And do you feel positively about all this? I mean, do you think this is going to be a creatively fertile time for the fashion industry? Um, well, I'd like to think of myself as a positive person. Um, like, I always like to think about things, you know, ahead of time. And like, I'm really into the idea of like projecting and thoughts mean things and, you know, um, positive thoughts mean positive outcomes. Uh, but we've had, we've definitely, we've had to think about, we've had to plan ahead when all of this stuff sort of was happening we had to plan ahead and sort of think about what if you know everything sort of breaks down what would we do as a brand you know we even had to go down to the realms of like you know who would we have to lay off first if we needed to do that and you know how would we sort of figure it all out so for the first time I had to really kind of think quite negatively which was sort of felt really counterintuitive um um, so, yeah, I mean, I hope so. But then it's sort of, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, um, Steve, who owns the store Relic. And we were talking, we talk a lot about stuff. We kind of, um, as a fellow Scott, kind of calls me just to chat away. And we were saying that it's sort of different to that time because there's so much immediacy with phones that people are kind of distracted so much that they might not be as eager to create. They'll be more eager. Well, they're creating for a different cause. They're creating for online. They're not creating, per se, sort of like, I don't know other purposes so I think it might be it, I think it will spur on creativity but I think it's going to be a lot different to those times. Now you have been to Five Carlos Place the matches fashion townhouse in Mayfair I think we have a cabinet in the attic there and we ask our guests to choose five things they put in there that best represents them so I was wondering what's the first thing that goes into the Charles Jeffrey cabinet? Um, so the the first one um, so I kind of thought I'd do it sort of chronologically that sort of associates itself with my life, I guess. And the first one I've got is the new concise Atlas of the Universe by Patrick Moore. To describe it, it's like this kind of uh, A3 uh, sort of like battered old book um, with like loads of like um, colourful pictures in it with about space. And um, I don't know, I've, I've always I've always sort of like had a, a fascination with space since I was like a child. Um, and I was speaking to my mum early on the phone and she was saying, oh, yeah, you know, we used to put loads of books in front of you. And this was one of the books that she got. She got it like secondhand um, in a, a charity shop. And uh, she said I was just like really fascinated with it as a child and that I, um, you know, she used to put uh, those sort of glow in the dark stars from Ikea, my ceiling. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of. And then I had this like moon like lamp as well. Um, and I don't know, I've just always, I've always just sort of like resonated with space. I used to love those programs, um, like the Carl Sagan ones and um, the ones by like Brian Cox as well. I mean, that's, they're a little bit further ahead, but 
always loved it. Um, so uh, I've, I've even got like a tattoo of Jupiter like on my chest um, and I've always kind of had like this fascination with Jupiter. Um, so I don't know, it's just, um, it's something that I always kind of gravitate towards. Like I watch loads of videos about space um, uh, before I go to sleep and I don't know, it's something about it that's always found really fascinating. Whereabouts in Scotland did you grow up? Well, yeah, I mean, basically my uh, my dad, um, who ad adopted me at like 19, he's a military man, he um, basically, um, when, when my mum and dad kind of officially got together, um, we moved from uh, Scotland, um, so from this small village called um, uh, Lanark, um, to, um, to Germany um, in Hanau, and then from Hanau we moved to Purbright, which is near Surrey. Um, and then from Surrey, we moved to Brecon in Wales. And then when my mum and dad um, sadly sort of parted ways, we moved up to Scotland um, to Cumbernauld, um, which is just sort of in between Glasgow and Edinburgh. So I, it was kind of like quite a formative time moving up to Scotland. And it was like the first time where I sort of felt like um, I was like sort of, I guess, different to other people because when you're in army housing you're sort of like the same as everyone else like everyone's sort of like in the same houses all of their dads have the same jobs um, and I think when I was um, in sort of Cumbernauld I was in like a very working class area so I was sort of very um, aware of like the other people in my class and the fact that they had a bit more money than me I remember going to my friend Kyle's house um, uh, who I'm still friends with today and um, his dad was, he worked on like an oil rig um, and I think they were quite wealthy. So they had like a huge, huge house. And I remember going there for the first time and just thinking, God, I'm very different to the house that I live in. Um, but it was, um, it was good. I mean, I, I've, I've, as I said, I've still got like a lot of friends from that time. Um, it's a shame my friend Kyle, um, he was supposed to get married in July um, in Malaysia and we were all planning to go and then it's been cancelled, we just found out, which is such a shame. What is it about your childhood that made you what you are today? Um, well, I was always encouraged to draw. I mean, as I said, like um, my mum, you know, she used to put loads of things in front of me. So she put like books and, um, you know, she would buy me like loads of toys from the early learning centre. Like I knew all about like dinosaurs and um, like things like connects and Lego and stuff. And also amongst that, she gave me like pens and pencils. And I kind of came from quite a, I guess my family were always kind of quite arty. My papa used to always draw and um, my mum used to paint every now and again. Um, it's like a hobby that I try and encourage her to sort of do more often. But um, but yeah, and she put pens and pencils in front of me and I would just sit and I would just draw all these like characters and I would draw dinosaurs, I would draw like planets and um, and like just loads of random stuff. I got really into Pokemon at one point. It was quite unhealthy. <laughs> and I can sort of see that permeate some of the work that I do now. I do all these little mad key rings, which do quite well in Japan and they look... Sometimes I look at them and think, oh, that looks quite similar to a Pokemon that I used to like. Just like video games as well. <clears throat> I was like really into, you know, I got um, my first Game Boy when I was in Germany. I remember that big kind of like a grey slab one with the green screen. Um, and then from there, I got like a Nintendo 64 and um, like a GameCube and an Xbox. And I was like video game daft. Like um, I actually thought that that was the first sort of career that I wanted to get into was to actually become a video game designer. Like I thought I'd get into things like animation or um, maybe like comic books, like things like that. Um, Who's your favorite Pokemon? Oh God, I don't think I've ever been asked that question as a fashion designer. 
I remember actually going to see the Pokemon film in Wales, um, in Brecon, when it first came out, and me and my friends, when we were all like in army housing, like all kind of clubbing together and going, and my mum taking us all, and like, I just remember getting so excited, I was like, almost like shaking in the cinema watching uh, this film, and my mum, I remember asking her about it, and she was like, son, honestly, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> I suppose, in a way, there is something similar between fashion and Pokemon, the Pokemon characters sort of evolve and mega evolve, don't they? Acquiring new powers that make it into something greater than what you were originally. And I think there's something similar to that in fashion and certainly in the clothes that you make, which are creating something that's bigger than the person who's wearing them somehow. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I think I've always been attracted to things like superheroes and you know, I love the cartoon X-Men, um, the really early ones, like in the really 80s kind of ones. Um, and I think there's a lot of thing about like costumes and, you know, as you're saying, like wearing something that makes you have like a power almost or something like magical that's sort of like in the clothes or like, I always love this idea of like, you know, like the Green Lantern who has the ring that he, when he puts the ring on, he has like all of these special powers and can shoot laser beams from this thing. Um, and yeah, I really love that kind of idea. And like going back to that whole Pokemon idea of like evolving you know there's some of the the I mean some of the sort of formations that they have I mean it's really nice when you uh, sometimes when I watched David Attenborough you can sort of see certain animals and you're like oh that's that that's the Pokemon that the Pokemon is inspired by that animal you can sort of see the connections it's it's quite fascinating yeah let's go back to your cabinet what else are you going to put in there um so I kind of thought because I've actually listened to a few of your the podcasts I love them they're really good to to run to no thank um, you but um, I, I thought, well, I, I, it's, I wanted to put a music video in um, because it was like one of the first, it was one, it was a music video that really kind of like changed my life in a way, kind of really sort of like unlocked something um, and made me sort of like really look towards um, London as a city and sort of put my attention to there. Um, and it's the video, um, Sheena is a Parasite um, by The Horrors. Um, which is directed by Chris Cunningham, who's this amazing video director who um, did the Bjork Hall is Full of Love video and he did um, some Portishead videos and he's also worked in fashion and did the um, uh, Flora by Gucci advert with um, Abby Lee um, Kershaw, which is a beautiful, beautiful video, which we actually sampled the music from because it's an edit that Chris Cunningham did of um, Donna Summer's I Feel Love. It's just like so haunting and amazing and he's just like, one of the most amazing artists I've always, always, always wanted to work with him. But yeah, this video just really, really changed me. I remember seeing it on the internet and I was, I think I would probably say I was like an emo at the time. Like I had like the fringe and the, like the, the weird sort of like polo shirts and like checkerboard um, belt. Yeah. Um, so I remember seeing this video and it was this amazing, you know, looking band um, dressed all in black leather and, tight, tight, tight skinny jeans and winkle picker shoes and like backcombed hair. And um, actually Samantha Morton is in the video and she's basically like gyrating around and there's like strobe lights. And it's just, the video is just like a really great example of Chris Cunningham's work. It's sort of, um, it's really in tune with the music and all like the kind of lighting and the glitches and all the movements are like really in line with what the music is um, doing. And, um, yeah, I just remember seeing it. It just was like, oh my God, I look at these people. Like, they look amazing. What is this music? What is this video? It just, it just really, really inspired me. I think because it was just like super, not like aggressive. It was just, it's quite violent, the video. 
but it's just something I think it's like when you it's that first band you're like oh, I really want to align myself with this band like this is exactly what resonates with me right now like I want to look exactly like them I want to know what they're about what's their album and it was it was just at the time when their album um, Strange House came out which is 13 years old now I think um, and yeah just it was amazing but I actually have a funny story as well I, I met Samantha Morton at a party like years ago um, and I went up to her and I said, oh, you know, I, I absolutely love you in um, the Sheena's a Parasite video. And she's like, you're the first person to ever come up to me to say that. She's like, everyone <laughs> always re recognize me, recognizes me from my movies. And she's like, I, she's like, no one ever recognizes me in that video because it's just, she looks kind of crazy. And she's, there's this points in the video where he actually put like bits of um, chicken breast on her face so that she looks like this kind of parasitical, dancing, crazy person. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It just really, it just really inspired me to to sort of really like maybe look at fashion in a different way. Like I really wanted to look a certain way. You know, like a band can be like a catalyst for you to dress and sort of look at fashion. And I was, I didn't really know I wanted to be a fashion designer at that point. I just know I wanted to be in London. I wanted to look like that, and I wanted to have friends that looked like that. So, so what was the thing that made you decide that you did want to go into fashion design? Um. I I've, I think it was really kind of finding out that I was gay. I think that was almost like a catalyst catalyst um, to that the sort of fashion world because I did I did I knew I felt very different to a lot of people in my school. Like I wasn't interested in sports, and you know, obviously I was really into art. And um, I remember when I started to sort of develop this idea of being gay. Like I remember um, actually picking up Arena Home. I remember going W H Smith, and there was a magazine called Arena Home Plus, which we all know, and there was a um, picture of Andres Segura on the cover of it, um, topless, um, and I remember buying it like sneakily and then putting it in my bag and like having heart palpitations and be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and then taking it home and then realizing, you know, it's like a fashion magazine, and um, I think I kind of really wanted to find an identification for myself around that time. And I think clothes were sort of like being trendy. And, and I always remember like, I wanted to look really, I wanted to be like the, the most stylish one of the group. Um, and I don't know, it's sort of, I guess sort of like then from there, I started like buying more fashion magazines. And, and then I realized that, you know, um, all of these sort of characters that I drew and, and all of these sort of like things that I like within video games could also exist in fashion and Gareth Pugh was another huge catalyst for that as well like when I discovered his work you know obviously through linking into the horrors um I mean this is going a little bit later after the that arena home incident um, um but you know the sort of uh that kind of looking at London as well just seeing designers doing amazing work like that really you never ever saw fashion be like that I mean I guess you know you could look at um people like Pierre Cardin and sort of Moogler and stuff before, but I didn't know about them. You know, I, I, I just had Gareth Pugh in front of me and then there was that club scene and, you know, it really, it, it just made me want to be part of it and, and contribute. And I think that I just sort of linked everything together and I was like, right, okay, I'm going to be a fashion designer. <laughs> and you went to Central St. Martin's to do just that in London. Yeah. And then I remember my mum taking me down there and um, I had this, a really funny outfit that one of my friends Cyril who was the first friend I made basically in London said oh I always remember seeing you at the foundation you had this um mustard cardigan a bright purple pussy bow shirt black tight jeans and I had these like sort of I don't know if they were fake or she had done a collaboration with them 
but Luella Bartley underground England checkerboard shoes. Do you know she did that collection? It was like yeah. black and white checkerboard with like alphabet or something. Yeah. I've still got them now. I was actually surprised I didn't put them in the, I've not chosen them but as for the collection, but they were for sort of like an integral part of my outfits <laughs> for a time. So I don't see them as much now, but we were such good friends, me and Cyril. We used to go dancing all the time to um, Pony Step. It was great. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about nightlife. But can we just talk about the third thing you put into your cabinet first? Yes, um, it, it's quite a good sort of foray into that subject, actually. Um, it's it's another musical um, input. It's the um, album Overpowered by Roisin Murphy. Um, it's like one of my most favourite albums of all time. I think it's perfect. I think just it's, it's something you can just put on uh, and it just flows so well. I just I, I, There's another album that's kind of like that. It's Madonna's... Um, uh, confessions of a dance floor you know just like flows yeah. really nicely and each song just flows into and you can shuffle it and it still works as well it's like it's really great um but the thing I love about that album is it, it, it just um it just reminds me of the time just before I moved to London so the time where I was really I knew I was moving there I knew I'd gotten into St Martin's and it reminds me of the kind of like um like spring before I went there because me and my mum used to play it in the car and um I went we actually went to see her in Glasgow perform together it's one of my most amazing memories of like me and my mum at the front row with my best friend Stevie um and dancing and we knew all the words of the songs because we used to just play the album over and over and over in the car and um you know she's I just think she's like the most coolest person in the whole entire world like she's just so cool and she actually wears my clothes now which is amazing can we talk about Loverboy the, the club night which you started doing in 2015 it took it was in it took place in East London and it became really popular and it was just such a cultural moment. Can you talk a bit about what led you to do it in the first place and how it came about? Um, well, it's a funny story because um, I was it sort of started whilst I was doing my MA and um, in the first term of my MA, like I was like like really really struggling um, for money. I was working like three three four jobs at the time. Well, three jobs. Um, I was working in a call centre, I was working in the Georgian Dragon, and then I was also doing some shifts in um, Acne and Dover Street. Um, so I was kind of really struggling for money. I remember one shift I was doing um, at the Georgian Dragon, and the owner's son, um, his name's Swanchel, um, he was talking about this night that he had on the 1st of August. Um, and he was like, oh, I've just not got, I've, just, I've not got anything planned for it. Like, I'm really stressed out. Um, and I was like, oh, when, when is it? He's like, what's the 1st of August? So I was like, well, that's my birthday. Um, and he's like, oh, do you want to just do your party? Do you want to just, like, take this slot and just do a big birthday party for yourself? And I was like, yeah, okay, fuck it, I'll do it. Um, and I was living with my friend Catrice at the time. She was sort of living with me. And um, we were kind of, like, kind of chatting back and, back and forth and, I said, oh, I just really remember those nights when I first moved to London, like going to Pony Step and, you know, nuke them all and um, trailer trash in, on Kingsland Road. And like they all died and everyone just used to get like so dressed up. And it was like such a look of London. You know, you had that kind of Gareth Pugh, loads of black, like leather and patent, you know, PVC. And then you had the kind of new rave look, which sort of like, you know, it was the, there was this, such a look of London at the time. And I just missed people dressing up. There was a bit of a dry spell that we, people were just going to like F.A.s and you know, drinking red stripes and, you know, going to South London, which was great, but it was just, I just missed dressing up. So we were talking about, and I was like, let's just try and do something that would be 
similar similar to like that let's try and do like you know let's have a nod to that and maybe we can look at like you know she was really into that film party monster and I, you know we watched that and then we ended up just making uh, a kind of name for it so like, what do you want to call it and it, literally the word just like fell out of my mouth it was like let's just call it lover boy and um we made a poster and um we got like loads of weird things from uh i can't remember the name of the shop it's on um it's just on kings and road it's like a party shop i think it's just called like party party house or party mania or something like that we've got like all these blow up bananas and balloons and my friend jack um apple yard made these kissing booths which people could kind of go in and it was just really tongue-in-cheek um but it was great it was like this sort of sort of really fun and then it, um, the owner of the club Lyle um, really liked us and asked if we wanted to do it again so then we kind of took it a little bit more serious and we started making sort of edit editorial style photo shoots to advertise it and we made the sort of Facebook group um, every month that when we were at the event page we would have like poetry on it and we would post the editorial photos and we get people to make films and um, and I think because I was at St Martin's it was you know, a lot of people from St. Martin's also wanting to go somewhere where they could dress up and wear all their crazy clothes and, you know, dance to the music that they wanted to listen to. And I think it just really kind of like took off. And then there was a whole other group of people from like South London or art schools there that used to come. Um, and then like after, you know, you know, month, months went by and we would take it more seriously. It became like a little side project to my master's. And I wasn't even, you know, I was really nervous about my master's and the work that I was doing. And this sort of felt like a bit of a respite and I was able to kind of work with people that I would have never worked with before if I was just doing my own studies and it just really took off. Um, I started making money from it as well, which I could put to my MA. I, you know, I was, I was making just over a grand a month just doing the night um, off the door money and I could then start working in that call centre. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it lasted about a year, didn't it? What's your favourite memory from that time? Yeah, we did it. We did it for a year, and then we did a few sort of like little kind of collab nights afterwards. Um, but it was a good year. I wanted to just keep it, you know, whilst you know, end it whilst it was good. Um, and I think one of the best, the best ones. I remember. I think. I think it might have been just before the summer, or or just after the summer when everyone got back from like the holidays, um, and it was absolutely packed I just remember like the door work <laughs> the woman who was working in the door bless her Becky I think she was really overwhelmed and she by the end she just started letting loads of people in for free so the place Vogue Fabrics is quite small it's you know it's 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 like a kind of basement size and it was absolutely packed so I remember playing um a halcyon on and on by Orbital and the whole room was just completely packed and it was sweating I could see people's legs getting caught in the stairs the, the slats in the stairs and I just remember thinking like bloody hell I can't believe we've we've done this and then just also just like standing outside of the club sometimes you'd, I'd always do this thing where I'd stand outside the club cross the street and then I would take a picture of the queue the queue used to wrap all the way up to um you know um, the, the vintage store um beyond retro at the top of um some road Vogue Fabrics, I was like, bloody, I can't believe this is it's happening. It was just, it was a really, really fantastic year of my life. And I, I'm just like, I, I don't know, I'm really grateful for it. Your fashion label is called Charles Jeffrey Loverboy. When you launched it, you caught the eye of Lulu Kennedy, who runs Fashion East, the scheme that supports fashion designers. 
how did things develop from there? Well, it was it was a weird one because when I finished my MA, I think I really struggled. You know, it was only near the very end where it all kind of clicked and my process started working, you know, with, with regards to design. And um, I remember having a conversation with some of my tutors um, and one of them said to me, you know, well, you're not really a fashion designer. You're, you know, maybe you're like more of a stylist or an illustrator. You know, I don't think that you're going to be able to be hired by a company. Um, the portfolio that you have and I remember thinking okay well <laughs> I guess I'll just I'll just like I'll just kind of continue with the party then and then when um, the MA sort of finishes they have this exhibition where people can come and visit and see the work of all the different students and you know a lot of um, you know industry people come and um, Lulu comes every year and she looked around everyone's work and I think she spoke to I think it was just me and Matty Bovan uh, he's an amazing knitwear designer who I used to sit next to and um, she came up to me and she was like looking through the work and what I had done for the exhibition is I had all of the club night posters that we used to print A1 stacked in one side and all my Polaroids that I had of the, the night and uh, in like a really like cute little box and then I had my MA work all hanging up and it kind of all looked like a weird, weirdly cohesively it all kind of um, came together and I think um, you know Lulu liked that, like, Lulu likes people who have like a world and and sort of um, you know, people that actually wear the clothes, you know, like and it looks, I think she likes authenticity. And I think because we sort of jarred the two together or brought the two together, she liked that. And um, she asked me if I wanted to do um, another collection. And because I'd been told that I wasn't a designer, I actually said to her that I didn't think, and I was like, no, I don't think I'll, I'll do it. I, I think I'm going to continue with the club night. And she was like, what? <laughs> I remember her and Natasha were just kind of a bit like gobsmacked and, um, I, I I said no. I think I'll, th I'll think about it. And she said, well, you know, let us know in a year's time if you want to do it. And then I got an email from Natasha like the following week saying, hey, you know, uh, I know you don't want to necessarily do a collection, but we're doing this thing at the ICA. So if you just want to take your party there, you know, um, we can do something. It's more of like a moment. And I think that just was a bit more inviting for me as a, as a concept because I I was a bit jaded of the idea of not being a designer. So. I sort of thought, well, I'll, I'll take what I'm good at and I'll take this party with us to the ICA. And then we sort of remixed my master's collection with a few other pieces that we made um, with this project with Savile Row that I did separately afterwards. And then um, I painted on top of like all these um, denim jeans, vintage denim jeans and T-shirts and coats. And we got all of the uh, group of us from Loverboy and just sort of like made this sort of stage in the ICA um, and then sort of almost it was kind of like a performance art piece, but it was actually, I mean, everyone was just drunk dancing <laughs> on this kind of podium, but it was kind of a spectacle. And, um, you know, I, it really kind of um, gave me more confidence in what I wanted to do. And then I was asked to do a runway show the next time. And I thought, okay, let me try this. So kind of the rest is history from there, I guess. What's the fourth thing for your cabinet? The fourth thing? Sorry, I've just eaten a strawberry. Delicious. <laughs> um, the fourth thing is more of a sort of present day thing, um, and it's actually my iPad. It's um, it's it's actually it's, it's actually like uh, the reason I pick it is it's, it's changed my life again. It's like another thing that sort of like changed my life. Um, I was given it. Um, I was called gifted it by Apple um, because they're kind of gifting to illustrators that the the new iPad to sort of test out and. Sort of report back from and I remember being a bit skeptical of it because I was always so into being very tactile with my work and 
you know, I always remember like sort of St. Martin's tutors being like, don't work in a computer, you know, work from, you know, you know, always be tactile and it's about owning the image and all of this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I kind of started working on it and just testing out a few drawings and stuff. And, and then I just got hooked and it completely sort of like took over all of my sort of working practices. And, you know, I, 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 I draw on it like every day, like it's, it's, it's just so therapeutic and, and, you know, I, it's got like this little flip keyboard that I use and I, you know, use it for my emails and, and obviously now a lot more for like things like Zoom and stuff. It's really kind of valuable. But the thing is that I kind of came to realize it's just a really great tool for like for visual communication, which is just like so integral in the work that I do. And I think beforehand when I was working just purely on paper, I mean, I still do work on paper and make illustrations on paper and, you know, um, I am still doing tactile work. I, try and force myself to do it sometimes now but it's just it just it's a lot it, you can just compartmentalize a lot of things but when you're making things tactile you can kind of gather lots of stuff and it can become quite messy and you can kind of get a bit you, know, you feel a bit unorganized and you know, I think with this iPad it's just really great at you know communicating with a wider team ideas that you have I can like knock up a pdf really quickly I can sketch on top of an image when we're doing fittings you know we'll do a fitting of a garment and then I'll take a picture of it and then draw the proportion I want the, the say the sleeve to be in. and then it's just really instantaneous and quick and you know I make a lot of um our knitwear is one of our best sellers and I design all the knitwear on there so you can just draw in vector drawings all of these amazing you know designs and, and they can get translated really easily into knitwear um I don't know it's just it's it's um it's just really great I just love it I just I couldn't see my life without it now it's it's, it's crazy and also I use it for DJing. It's, you know, I've got like little um, apps on it, which I can use to DJ. It's just like, it's, it's, um, it's great. I love it. It's really interesting, this relationship between fashion designers and tech, you know, how it enables designers to do their work and how it might influence what we wear ultimately. I think it's this idea of like, I mean, I was listening to this um, sort of round table discussion with that um, uh, futurist uh, Lee Edelcourt. I don't know if you know her, she's a fantastic woman. Um, she's sort of like a trend forecaster, if you will. And there's this, I think it's D-Zine roundtable for um, Google. And uh, they were talking about um, this idea of, you know, technology and how it's going to be integrated um, into product and, and even into like maybe, you know, bio biologically integrated into our bodies and, you know, to talking about this thing. And there was one guy that was on the, the panel discussion saying, we can't deny that technology should be integrated into our bodies and you know we should just let it happen and you know it was, it was kind of interesting to sort of consider like you know this idea of having maybe like chips put into you and then you can call somebody by just thinking about someone and that we shouldn't you know um we shouldn't be scared of that because you know it's it's something that might happen so I mean I don't know it's I used to always be kind of a, a, against tech and technology, like I think just because it's really imprinted into you from, you know, art school, like, you know, it's important to be tacked on. I still still agree with that. But for me, it's it's really taken a load off of my shoulders and I'm able to just be a lot more agile with my work and also just keep it nice. I can look at a sketch of a dress that I did like three seasons ago in the matter of an instant and then just send it to my pattern cutter, you know, who's working remotely and say, oh, can we re-look at this again? And then just, you know, discuss it live on the Zoom call. It's just, I don't know, it's great. I'd absolutely love it. Let's talk a bit about the clothes you design. You're known for using tartan a lot, and there's a sort of joyfulness and exuberance to your pieces. For someone who might not have encountered 
your work before. How would you describe them? Um, well, I'd say I, I like to kind of coin the Paul Frit, Paul Smith um, sort of phrase. It's like classic with a twist. I think that's always quite a nice sort of um, foray into Lover Boy. It's classic with a twist and the twist being, you know, um, I guess sort of this artwork made manifest concept and, you know, coming from a sort of queer club night background, you know, we always kind of think about, uh, I don't, I mean, gender is such a funny word in fashion now. I don't mm -hmm. even like using it so much, but it, I really appreciate the fact that people kind of drew a lot of attention onto the queer community around that time. And, you know, it really helped a lot of visibility happen. But I think my work, it's just always, it just feels really instinctive to, you know, have, you know, models play and look kind of weird it's more like for me it's more like video game characters and they've always been really kind of androgynous and, and and you know it's about i'd rather see my kind of um my models as sort of like characters in a game or from another planet um i think you know i, I love class i mean i love classic you know and you know norms of what you would class as a sort of you know gendered clothing so like you know i love tailoring for example and i i, I love the idea of putting you know um women in suits and you know I love couture we've got loads of files here in the studio of just like um of photocopies that I've kept over the years from St Martin's of like different couture looks and one of my colleagues Christopher is so daft for couture he loves couture so much and we we he arranged all of these um uh, studio visits to um different archives which I it's just so great we get to go to the V&A and we go to the Museum of London which is my favorite one and um, we look at different um, clothing throughout the ages and, you know, it's we always try and incorporate like a project into the, the, the show, which is like kind of based on a couture technique or a volume or a particular dress. Um, it's like a kind of project that you get at school. It's like, OK, this is the couture project and we'll figure out how to make it work. But, yeah, I know I think to describe to people Loverboy, it's sort of very colourful, um, kind of bold, um, has a humour, um, but it's it's very it's steeped in classicism, you know. Your shows are known for their theatricality. For example, when you showed the collection Tantrum. Yeah, oh god, I love that. It's one of my favourite shows. I think. Um, was that 2016, 17? No, it was. Um, god, when was it? Autumn, winter, eighteen, I think. Autumn, winter, eighteen. Um, it was uh, based off of. I was reading the book, um, The Velvet Rage. Um, so the, the, the kind of um, performance concept was sort of drawn again from the idea of being, you know, validated or invalidated by society as gay people. So we sort of manifested that with having, um, you know, uh, groups of these characters who were a mixture of lover boys and characters of Theo Adams' company, who I collaborated with for that performance. And, um, you know, we would have them either clap at a, a model walking down the catwalk being like oh yes amazing we validate you we validate you or they would boo them you know like and and throw shame at them so we were kind of drawing these ideals from the book and manifesting like that and you know Theo Adams is a really amazing um catalyst for you know bringing like real emotive performances out of people and um we use the soundtrack um uh, Firestarter um, by the Prodigy which is just it's just an amazing track and we got a friend of ours to play the drums alongside it and he was dressed as this kind of Celtic demon like again like a video game character and um and then the set was by Gary Card and we had these bim bat I mean we didn't I had no money we were literally we were really we didn't, you know we, we were small we were punching above our weight for this show 
we had like bin bag blown up set design you know we, Gary made all these kind of forms or based off of paintings that I did and he rendered them in bin bags and then we blew them up with leaf blowers and I don't know for me that show is just like such a great articulation of you know when you just kind of all club together to make something you know out of nothing and that there's like a real you know energy that can come from that and I think that's why that that's probably the, for me is that the word seminal show is that you say that like the seminal show of mine is that yeah. I don't know if that's the right word I, but I think that would be the one that's my one show you know hopefully I do a couple more of them but you know, that one is the the one and what's the last thing to go into your cabinet um so this for me sort of it's sort of like I guess it represents the future in a way but then it's a bit of a weird way to represent the future it's actually like um and my mate was laughing at me when I decided to choose it. It's um, my running shoes. Um, uh, it's for me, I it, I, it was the first, it represents a, like the first time that I felt I got really disciplined. So I, I ran the marathon last year um, and I took up running obviously to then do the marathon. I just thought, you know, I really want to try and, you know, um, test myself as being disciplined with regards to like you know exercise and fitness and start looking after myself because you know you, you can sort of fall into some ropey places when you start doing you know this type of work um especially coming from like a kind of club space and not having much money you know you can kind of develop bad habits and I think I just wanted to sort of look after myself and I decided to start running and you know it was and I gave myself this goal it's like I'm gonna run the marathon I remember people just like laughing at me being like are you running the marathon I want a glass of wine instead <laughs> it was just sort of like um you know I, I really tested myself and I remember I, I I really stuck to it and I used to go out I would get up at you know six in the morning and I'd go around Victoria Park a couple of times and then I you know I just thought okay I'm gonna stop drinking for a bit and I save up for a personal trainer and then I I got a personal trainer um, on the uh, the year 2019, the first day of 2019, I got a personal trainer called Miguel, who I still use now. And then we, you know, set a goal for myself and I and I did it. And 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 the thing that I love about running is that I it was just a really great way for me to connect with music in another way. And I mean I, I used to get well, I still do, I get all my ideas really from like sort of walking and listening to music and going into this thing which I now found out. It's actually a actual kind of scientific thing it's like you go into the theta state so it's like alpha beta theta so it's like t-h-e-t-a i think and it's like this thing where you know it's people get it like when they sort of um they sing in the shower or they they get it when they're um reading it's like you know you sort of imagine and sort of a meditative state where you sort of connect things and um i know i just sort of find that sort of like sound activates my imagination and I've like got this sort of library of connections that sort of my brain makes with sounds now. And when I listen and I run and, you know, I've got a really good playlist going on, I can really problem solve a lot of things and I can really see a lot of things and uh, that I can sort of use for my work. And I know it sounds a bit sort of like douchey to say that, but it's sort of, I don't know, the running shoes for me sort of represent the future because it's always about sort of foresight. And then it's also about the really positive, they represent a really positive part of my life you know looking after myself and also sort of like like you know it's, it's just I, I love I absolutely I'm addicted to it I, I love you know going to that place into my brain and sort of um you know enjoying it it's like watching a movie I don't know it's what's your favorite song to play when you're running um well I I love 
I love, I've got a couple of playlists. I love listening to, sometimes I love listening to guitar music. Um, I've got like a playlist, it's called guitar, with loads of E's. Um, um, but then I love listening to like, Honey Dijon's amazing. She's got really, really great playlists to run to. Um, but I've got this one song that I'm like obsessed with at the moment and that's, I've just been playing, that's really bad. I've been playing it over and over and over again on repeat. Uh, it's by this band called um, Group A. They're like, uh, they're, they don't, they're not um, going anymore. There's a song called Deadly 16 and it's, um, they're kind of like this Japanese, the two Japanese girls, they're sort of like experimental electro punk music. And it's just, I discovered the song the other day there and I just keep listening to it over and over and over and over again. And I don't know if that's good for my brain, but that's what I'm listening to at the moment. And in terms of what's next, I mean, everything's obviously been turned upside down with the coronavirus. But have you had thoughts about moving forward with Loverboy? Well, I think like the beauty of um, the brand is that, you know, because we started from, you know, one thing and then changed into another and we produce lots of kind of lateral things that sort of inform each other. Um, you know, I think that it's it's sort of quite a malleable brand, so it can be whatever, you know, it wants to be, and I think, kind of come across quite authentically. So, I, I mean, I'd love it to be a club night again. I mean, we've done a couple of projects since it's finished. You know, we collaborated with Mac Cosmetics and we did like a huge party um, two years ago now, which wasn't great. And um, I know I'd love it. I'd love it. I, I wonder what it would be like if it was a store or if it was a radio station or if it was... Uh, um, a gallery space or I don't know I, I, I think it, I, I love it to still pr be producing fashion because I just love fashion is just such a great subject which you can kind of pour lots of things into and it makes sense um, I don't know I, I think I just want I just hope it you know it, it's able to kind of pull itself out of the other side and still make people feel you know a certain way so that's my goal I just wanted to you know keep making people feel something That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.